This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, coming at you uh, from my bedroom on Easter Sunday, along with, of course, the one and only Jeremy Cohen. Uh, Jeremy, I know you, you don't celebrate Easter, correct? That's correct. So your parents did not wake up, or I guess it would be go to bed late last night and, and hide Easter eggs for you to find this morning then? Uh, no. No. We actually did put in an order for Cadbury eggs for my choice because i think they're delicious but they are um, but no we did not do anything easter related today okay well sounds like you did though i mean my my daughter i think as we speak is on her ninth or tenth easter egg hunt she just keeps wanting us to uh to hide the eggs and so she could find them again um so that's been you know uh just about as lovely as it sounds uh i did i did uh However, grill a, a nice skirt steak uh, earlier today, which was which was quite delicious because I'm not very good on the grill and it's really tough to screw up a skirt steak. So it is, yeah, it's just to the type of meat. It's and it's delicious too. Oh yeah, no, it's fantastic. I marinated it. I I did marinate it properly. I got that part right. I I overnighted it in, in some soy sauce, so uh, it was delicious. But um, yeah, man, it's it's. I gotta say, I'm kind of getting used to the whole um, staying home uh thing um unfortunately you know um we we still have no no team to talk about uh on the court although as we were talking about for a second before we came on um i think we're both pretty excited because there <laughs> i i can't call it news and i can't even call it a rumor what would you th- but there is something for us to talk about what 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 category would you put what we're going to talk about today into i don't even know noise it's it, that's great yeah it's noise yeah, yeah. Also, just real quick, um, really funny story that I feel like you would appreciate and probably Please. some other people will as well. So uh, because of having to be quarantined, my parents and I usually will we'll try to figure out some sort of Passover. And some family friends invited us to a Zoom Passover. And there were like maybe over 30 people there. Wow. And it was, it was a cool experience. I mean, it was very, you know, it's just what the world is right now. But we were on the video chat because it was most of us did video and one of the the person who was leading the service like you could call it that if you want the seder i guess okay. said okay and next to the earl joneses and just like oh okay is that some sort of inside joke and then the camera starts and holy shit james earl jones is doing a passover seder with us what yes it's him it's his son and his daughter-in-law because his son recently got married and 
we're on camera, so we're trying to contain ourselves because <laughs> we can't believe that a 90-year-old James Earl Jones is doing a Passover Seder with us on Zoom. And it's like this – it was just an, an out-of-body experience to, just because, you know, like I've been very fortunate to to meet and, and see and come across a lot of famous people. And it was just very unexpected how it happened. So um, – but the coolest thing of all – was for those of you who don't know with the Passover Seder basically I don't know <laughs> yeah so it, it involves a lot of different things a lot of different meetings uh, it's a lot of wine drinking there's matzah which is like the cracker um, sounds fantastic yeah yeah but so but you basically read not really from the Old Testament but you there's like there's stories that are kind of passed along through it and well hold at on one point you didn't read them James Earl Jones read them well I'm getting to that we Everyone went ahead and read everything, but they specifically saved a portion for James Earl Jones and his son because his son also does voiceover work. Okay, and they gave the two of them the ten plagues. Is that with the with the crickets and the or locusts and the frogs? So there, there's no experience I've ever had quite like James Earl Jones reading blood. Locust, like in the most James Earl Jonesian voice. You possible. did not do it justice just now. I did. I, I would have converted to Judaism if I knew that this was in the cards for me. Um, and I say that having gone through many, many, many years of Catholic and Jesuit education. Um, I, I know the Old Testament quite well, and that is the Old Testament is a lot more fun than the New Testament. The New Testament sucks. Oh, yeah. it's, it's boring. My, my girlfriend said the same thing because she's Catholic, and she was like, I. There's just no fun with the New Testament. I was like, yeah, that's one of the perks of uh, of being a minority. I guess. You, you want to go have some fun? Go read Job. Uh, it'll put it'll put the life of Nick fans into perspective if you go read Job. Whole book about what? Yeah, <laughs> yes, there's a whole book about him. Um, on that on that note, talk about a, so yes, noise with Donovan Mitchell. Talk about a perfect transition. Yeah, we have been Job um, for for going on two decades now. Um, our, the basketball gods have tested us. Um, we are still here. We have – Job does not forsake his god at the end, right? He he sticks – he stays true, right? You're asking the wrong person, brother. I, you, I, I should know, but I, I'm, I think – I think the whole gist of it is God basically kicks the shit out of him as much as humanly possible, and um, he doesn't defer. I, I think I'm, I'm sure if, so, if I got that wrong, somebody will correct me. So please do in my mentions. Anyway, um, yeah, we've been Job. We haven't. Um, we've had. Uh, we've probably led the league in rumors over the last two decades, um, and. You know, very, very few of those have, have come true. And um, the latest one, again, it's not a rumor, it's noise, is that uh, Donovan Mitchell, um, I want to get the exact wording that uh, Shams and Sam Amick and Tony Jones used. Um, the Jazz have already begun working on the Mitchell-Gobert relationship. This is, of course, uh, in the aftermath of the whole COVID-19 thing with them and, and Gobert uh, Possibly, probably, whatever you want to say, spreading it around his team, including to Mitchell. Um, but sources say Mitchell remains reluctant to fix what might have been broken. Quote, it doesn't appear salvageable. End quote. One source with the knowledge, with knowledge of the situation said. Um, this is interesting. Um, it. What do you take from the report? For, forget about all the, the conversation that's taken place on Twitter since then. And we'll get to that. But like, 
did how seriously did you take this when you first saw it? It's hard to say. You know, I kind of walked away with feeling like I don't see Donovan Mitchell wanting to spend his entire career in Utah. And again, no disrespect to anyone who you're probably not listening to this if you <laughs> live in Utah or or Dude, you just, that's massive disrespect. Well, no, listen, no disrespect like, to your shitty state, but who the hell would want this? <laughs> I'm saying this in the sense of, and I think I think we've spoken about this before, but the undefeated. I want to say Mark J. Spears wrote an article about how uh, black players, when they get to Utah, have That's to true. create their own culture. That's true. Yes, and like you can say whatever you want about Utah as a state, and like I'll leave that up to whatever person. I haven't even been there, so I can't even say what it's like to live there. But based on what I've been reading, uh, based on things that we've kind of tried to understand in the past, it seems to me that you can't grow in Utah. You especially can't grow your brand. And sure, the NBA is a worldwide business. It's it's certainly global. But there's without a doubt no way that a player in another market, say like Donovan Mitchell, uh, that he wouldn't do better in another market than Utah. He would do absolutely better in another market than 100%. Utah. 100%. I want to just jump in there. And, and I think it's worth noting that Donovan Mitchell, very early on in his career, made, um, I would say, a, a, a overt effort to, I, I guess the best way to say it is like put himself out there in, um, in the, the national um, conscience. Like I remember the... Uh, the Kevin Knox draft I was at and who was there uh, interview I think he was interviewing whatever the hell he was doing but he was essentially talking to the draftees um, Donovan Mitchell was um, for I, I guess it was ESPN I, assume, I think they televised it um, and he was kind of all over the network and, and you could kind of tell that he was like a big deal for that and like he's I, it feels like he's made an effort to make himself one of the young faces of the league. Would that be putting it too? Would that be going too far? I think that's accurate, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't. Like you know, we did a twenty-three under twenty-three. If we did a twenty-four under twenty-four, I would put him certainly towards the top of that list. I wouldn't put him. I don't know if I'd put him top five, but he gives off the. He has the the personality, and I don't mean physical personality, but he he's got star quality. There's something about him where he's very he just comes off as a star. His game certainly translates, but the way his attitude, how he carries himself, and it makes sense. You know, this is a guy who grew up in a family. His dad works for the Mets. He knows what it's like to to work in some capacity for um, a, a pro organization. He grew up in Greenwich. I know someone who. Has who knows him or or come across him or knows people who know him, and like he's used to a lifestyle that is a little bit more cosmopolitan. Yeah, and I don't think it's wrong to say that there's a reason why he could potentially be using this as a way to plan his exit if he's miserable. And and like, listen, I don't know why he would be miserable in Utah from a playing standpoint. Uh, Throw away marketability, right? He maybe if he's upset that he's not really a first option, then I would understand it. Well, that that gets he, into our, our the conversation we're going to have in a bit about possible trade stuff. But it's this it's funny how this stuff bleeds into each other um, on the court versus off the court. But continue. Yeah, just you know maybe he 
wants to find a different role. And maybe if he knows that different role is going to be with another team, he sees this as a perfect opportunity to kind of expedite that where maybe he doesn't want to go out. Um, and this is the thing. Like, again, I, I find it very hard to believe that he would be traded anytime soon. It makes a lot more sense to the Jazz if they wanted to, to trade Rudy Gobert to like I think a great team this won't happen because um, Sean Marks has no testicles but if the Nets really wanted to trade <laughs> DeAndre Jordan and Karis Levert and um, maybe even Terrain Prince and if they got the- back Rudy Gobert and Royce O'Neal and of course there'd have to be come on they're, they're not using yeah. the Bradley Beal trade on, on Rudy Gobert we, we, we both know where those chips are lined but, up right, to go but, but the thing is that it would make so much sense because it would it would cover for Kyrie's inability to really I mean his defense is going to be a problem Um, and the fact that they will have Kevin Durant coming off of a torn Achilles we don't know what his defense is going to look like because of how limited he could be I'm just saying that the Nets could use someone who could anchor the defense (sighs) and you could say oh Jared Allen but I mean there's no comparison between Jared Allen and Rudy Gobert. Now, uh, you could say, what about Jared Allen on a rookie contract versus Rudy Gobert on, on his max contract or what he'll likely get? And maybe it's a different story, but talent-wise, if, if, you're, if your time, your window is the next three to four years, and let's face it, it is. In fact, it could even be two years because they have an opt-out, although I don't see either using it Russ, necessarily. I think it's health. two years, but it keep, yeah, go on. Right. So if you've got two years, you're not going to screw around with what you've got. If you have a chance to win a championship, you do it. But because of the fact that they are so temperamental as players and as people, and they sacrificed money to bring in DeAndre Jordan. Exactly. Trading DeAndre Jordan, to me, is a non-starter for Brooklyn. It shouldn't be, but it is. And and we should also – no, we should also note that DeAndre Jordan, very clearly, uh, as indicated by the coaching move that they made, um, he kind of wants to play a certain amount of minutes uh, every game. So it's not like yeah. DJ is going to be or at least start. And you're yeah. not going to start DeAndre Jordan over Rudy Gobert. And and if you look at their their assets, right? They have they t- put DeAndre Jordan aside, as you just said correctly. DeAndre Jordan's starting, which means Jared Allen is potentially an expendable asset it just it doesn't make it doesn't not an expendable asset i shouldn't say that but he is the the one of the more likely assets to go in a in a deal um they're gonna get a wing we know they're gonna get a wing um because otherwise they would be stuck having to trade both dj and jared allen it's just it's tough enough to trade centers as it is i mean honestly looking around the league there's not I'm just I'm giving it one a once over. Here's the I I know what you're going to say here's the risk you run if you're the Nets. And I, I don't want to make this a net centric pod obviously, but if you don't trade for him and you're Brooklyn, guess who probably does? The boss is up. Uh, the so I it's funny. I was just about to say I don't see a team that makes sense to trade for Rudy Gobert and as I'm looking up and down the standings the the one that in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know, it wouldn't shock me is the Celtics. That said, I just, what's that? You're talking about a Jalen Brown-centric package? That's way too much to pay for Rudy Gobert. It's just not. I, is I, it? I, I, it I mean, personally, yes, I think it's way too much to pay for Rudy Gobert. Absolutely. I don't know. I mean, listen, Jalen Brown's owed a lot of money. He's He's a good player. 
I don't know if he's worth 23, 25, 27, 29 million he's dollars. He's been next good this year though, and he's yes. been good. and once yes. they once they got that hierarchy down, Tatum Tatum's the the guy. We know that Tatum's the guy. He's, yes, he's and, been good. And Kemba's the he runs the show. Jalen Brown has slotted very nicely into that um <laughs> the the funny <laughs> I just thought of this. The funny thing would be ship uh of ship yeah. Hayward yeah. back to Utah. I thought the same thing too, yeah. Yeah. But but again, if you Imagine a pick and roll situation with Kemba and Gobert. You basically get what you had with Horford, only you have him. You have a younger, better player in Gobert. You can sign him to a max contract because you know that you're probably going to be able to keep him. Because again, if you look around the league, how many teams are going to want to necessarily shell out money? Um, it just it makes a lot of sense to me in that this, this is a league where there really aren't many big threes anymore. It's pretty much just duos, right? And so if you have what is really probably the only big three in the NBA of Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, and Rudy Gobert, and, you know, you've also – maybe you trade – Marcus Smart, but although I don't, think I, I don't, I, I just don't, I don't see that. I they have they've resisted trading Marcus Smart thus far. To me, right. honestly, it's it is ship. It, and again, this is further complicated by the fact that Gordon Hayward, um, if he doesn't, he could theoretically opt out of his um his player option, become a free agent this summer. Which again, is, is it? I think it's tough to see him giving up. What what is it going to be? Thirty million dollars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I think the the machination of the deal would be to send Hayward someplace, have the someplace send something to Utah, and then have Utah send Gobert up to um, Boston. I I actually think if there's gonna get if there's gonna be a deal done that that makes the most sense to me because I can't see like where's the bad team that's gonna make the stupid. Rudy Gobert trade, unless it's and now we get to the the one of one of the points of the podcast. We're we're burying the lead here. We're we're saving the Mitchell discussion, but um, unless it's the Knicks, um, let me just ask it this way: Is there? Oh, I forgot about the no. The Suns have DeAndre Ayton. Never mind. Um, is there any? And obviously, it goes without saying. Mitchell Robinson makes one point five million dollars. Um, Rudy Gobert makes what is he a 26, something. Something, something along those. It makes a lot of money. Um, so we're not. This is not. We're not talking about a one for one swap. It would. It would. I would assume be Robinson and and uh, Julius Randle going out. Whether it's to Utah, whether it's to someplace else, and then someplace else sends something to Utah. It, here's my point. Do if if putting putting salaries aside for a minute, is there any world where you want Rudy Gobert on this team? Next year and Mitchell Robinson off of it. Um, no. The reason I hesitate is because I because Rudy Gobert first... is really fucking good. Well, no, no. I mean, yes, he is. He is. The reason I the reason I hesitated was I thought you were just going to stop at Rudy Gobert um, because again, I I I'm not pro trading Mitchell Robinson, but I'm not anti trading Mitchell Robinson either. Yeah, it's okay. not again like I've, I've, as I've said before. Um, don't necessarily need to repeat it, but for for Rudy Gobert, it's trading him. Like, what does it really do for you? He could walk away. Your team, like, maybe he increases your wins by five. It's like, not a move you make in a vacuum. I think is the point that you're making. It if it came, it's a move. It's a move you make if you are a 
title or if you're a contender, maybe not a title contender, but close enough where Rudy Gobert could hypothetically put you into at least the conference finals. We should also That's, note that he it's a two he has this year a twenty five and actually next year he's gonna be a free agent in the summer of twenty twenty one. Right. So if you so badly want So you're trading for a year of him. <laughs> right. And and the Knicks are in no position to do that. Yeah, I struggle to think of like we've we've gone over it, we don't need to go over it again, the idea that Leon Rose could could make some big swings and and see what he comes up with. Um, I just, you know, I'm not trying to oversell Mitchell Robinson as an asset. I think we had a very honest discussion about him on this podcast last week. Um, but he is one of their two or three best assets, along with R.J. Barrett and their their 2021 draft pick. Um, I guess you could throw the, the pick that they have now coming up, depending on where it lands. Um, I just don't see them moving that for a year of Gobert when there's literally no, there's no scenario that where where they would be even, like if they just got, went crazy and started trading away picks and and young players, like I can't imagine them being a, even like a top five team in the East um, next season. So I agree with you. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So can, we could move on to the Donovan Mitchell discussion. I guess is what we're saying. Yes. <laughs> okay. This is a more interesting one. We, it only took us 20 minutes to get here. Um, can I just say, before we have this discussion, I just want something noted for the record. Donovan Mitchell's not getting traded. Like, I what, whatever I just read, what are the words? Uh, it doesn't appear salvageable. Okay, great. That's a, that's a line in a story. I trust the reporting 100%. Like, for Utah to trade a 23-year-old... All star, who is not only a twenty three. There's all 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 stars are not created equal. He's a twenty three year old star who has shown the ability to run a team, not in the classic point guard sense of the the word, but you know in the kind of Victor Oladipo ish, uh, James Harden ish. Again, I'm not comparing him to Harden, but sense um, he defends. Um, he has nothing but a positive impact in the locker room on winning. It's like all the, all the, he's like the anti D'Angelo Russell, right? That's kind of the way I, the way I think about him. It's like for them to trade this guy, and to answer your question from earlier, he would probably be after Doncic, Zion, and, and Tatum, if we did a 24 under 24. Simmons is 23 years old? Yes, he is. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'd rather have Mitchell. That's how highly I think of Mitchell. I don't. Where where are you at on him before we get into this discussion? Because I think he's friggin' amazing. I would put Simmons ahead of him. Um, where am I at with Donovan Mitchell? So that's a really good question. For starters, I'm I'm gonna backtrack. I actually tweeted about this the other day, where you know, like, and I'm with you. I think the odds of him going anywhere are slim to none, right? But I also remember. Looking at <laughs> that was Sprintgate, a good, that was a good tweet. <laughs> thank you. But I remember looking at Sprintgate with um, with Donovan with with Porzingis in November of 2018, and is thinking, all right, well, like it's just another thing that has happened. And two months later, Porzingis is gone. Now, again, I have to say, I have to jump in here, but it's the Knicks. I hate yeah, to be okay. that guy. That's, I hate to be that guy, but I have to be. I understand that. But again, here's what I'm saying. There's there's more 
that can meet the eye. There's a lot that we may not know about the situation. That's and like fair. I said, maybe this is um, building on other things. Maybe this is the the best way for Donovan Mitchell to get out if that's really what he wants. We we don't know. We're speculating until then. But so if that's the case, yeah, we could say, well, the Knicks, it be, you know, because it was the Knicks, the Knicks did this. And that's totally true. But again, this is a player-driven league. And if the Jazz see that Donovan Mitchell doesn't want to be here, and if they want someone who wants to be here, then there's a chance that they could say, you know what? We could get talent that adds up to better than Donovan Mitchell. Because here's where I'm at with Mitchell. I think he's a phenomenal player. I think he's had two really awful postseasons, and that's okay. He's a younger guy. That's – I do – Wait, hold on. Can we – slight caveat. He did win – uh, not that his shooting numbers were that great in that series, but beat the Thunder as a rookie. Not him I, the only. He, I, he didn't do it single-handedly. I, my point is not. that his shooting was really bad. And, and but I'm I'm giving him a bit of a pass here. That's the thing I'm saying. It's you know it's first couple of years. That's that's fine. I totally understand. He helped them get there. He he should have won Rookie of the Year in my opinion. Without question, he was, he was fantastic. But with that said. You're then talking about the package to get him. Um, now, I think I would differ from other Knicks fans in that I don't view any of the current Knicks or really any of the picks as untouchable. It would really depend on the situation. For example, um, earlier this week, I was very confident in saying, you know, I would be willing to trade RJ Mitch and at least one first round pick. And I'm sure there are people who are listening who are like, well, that's, that's, ridiculous overpay and it's it's uh it's not the way i look at it is this you're basically you have to overpay for these types of players because of the fact that you get their years of control and you get restricted free agency matching rights so if you really want to look back at the porzingis deal and it's not a perfect deal but it's at least something to go off of where if we took a 23 year old all-star like you said and Tried to see what his trade value was. Okay, so we know that two first-round picks and a young prospect came back, right? Um, what <sighs> else has to be there? Because now you're looking at how the Knicks dumped a lot of salary in Courtney Lee and in Tim Hardaway Jr. So the Knicks wouldn't want to be taking on a lot of salary as an offset. If anything, they'd probably want to just keep it as cheap as possible because really let's let's look at the big picture here. Let's say you you trade everything for Donovan Mitchell. What's next? You've got Donovan Mitchell on your team. I, That's great. I have some ideas, but keep going. What is your plan? So, so the well, way that I look at yeah, it, what you, yeah, yeah, is again with this this half baked star chasing star hunting thing, where the Knicks would essentially say, "Look, we we're all in on getting Donovan Mitchell because even if if the sum of the parts that we traded away." is greater than what we're getting back in Donovan Mitchell. Surely the um, the ability to add him on the last year of his rookie contract, which is $5.2 million just about, getting him, signing other guys on like a one-year deal and trying to push them to the playoffs to then appeal to star free agents is in my mind really the only positive path that you have before you and, back up the Brinks truck and max out Donovan Mitchell. And and, and that's a damn good path. It is. Don't get me wrong. It's a great path. It's a great path if it works. And so far, 
None of what we have seen in the past has been working. Okay, okay. I have to. Okay, so I'm, there's a lot of thoughts swirling around in my brain. I'm gonna try to cogently go through them without speaking for too long. So we'll we'll try to break this up. The first thing that I have to to say here is that I, you know, Daryl Morey's good name has gotten dragged through the mud a lot <laughs> over the last couple of years um, with the with the Chris Paul contract and then with the Russ trade, and and I get that. Um, I think. He had the right idea um, when, and, and you know this Sam Hinkie. And again, I, I'm sorry. I still think of those two guys as the smartest guys in the room. You know, call me an idiot for, for believing that, but both of them shared the same philosophy: you win with stars. And you I, listen. I, I, why am I telling you this? You've written about this as much as anyone. I, I, am I wrong? No, no, no. no. I, we're, we're on the same page. You're on no. the same page. So it's all about, though, it's about identifying the right star, one, and two, being sure that once you identify that star and, star and you're able to bring him in, you give yourself a chance to put the pieces around him. Now, the Knicks have had, let's say, two stars um, in the last 20 years. Um, one was Carmelo Anthony. And with the mellow trade, because of the nature of their – the salary cap at that time and the amount of contracts they had on the books and the amount of money that was coming in because, again, they um, didn't um, they didn't let Billups go, which made them have to amnesty him to sign Chandler. We know how that all worked out. The point is they had no flexibility to build properly around Melo, and guess what? They still had a team that probably should have gone to the Eastern Conference Finals, and who knows what would have happened if they did some things differently. KP, and this is the other thing I wanted to jump in before – Putting Mitchell aside for a sec, can we stop using the KP trade as a model for for just about anything? Because like, when is they that situation was so unique in that literally everybody was saying if the Knicks get the cap space, Durant and his friend, super friend X will come. Like I I, I feel like we can't evaluate we can't compare other prospective deals. To that trade because of how highly valued. I'm not even going to get into. But, the, but aren't we doing the same thing here? How? Because I'm saying that if you believe that getting Mitchell and Mitchell, getting Donovan Mitchell, yeah, is the first step to potentially signing two other players in free agency. Forget about it. We don't need to at, at that. Well, you do, okay, here's I guess here's the main point that we should go back to. Yeah, I don't view Donovan Mitchell. As the best player on a championship team, and I and I view him as, <sighs> oh god, it would it, you can't say he's that now. What is his ceiling to you? In ter- if you're going to tier players in terms of you know top five, ten, so on and so forth, where do you see Donovan Mitchell topping out? So you have your transcendent, like all time level players of which the league is is filled with uh, five to seven of those sorts of guys at any your superstars at any given point in time in their prime in their prime the, the league has more of them at, at any given time but only about five or six at a time in their prime and of those guys usually there's one maybe two big men in this case, right now, currently in the league, I guess it would be Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid, and the rest are engines, right? Guys that can can be like the guy that's the driving force. Do like 
Are you telling are you me? Putting Jokic, are you saying Jokic is with them or outside of that? Just I, I don't consider Jokic to be in that group. I consider him to be just on the outside of that group, gotcha. which is where I think Donovan Mitchell can get to, which is that next six, seven, eight, nine, whatever guys. You know, I guess. Wait, my, but you're saying you think that he can, that his ceiling is essentially a top 20 player. Is that correct? Oh, 100%. I think he could. And again, I'm not comparing him to Damian Lillard, but in terms of. Because Dame is like a poor man's Steph, and Steph is, you know, maybe the best player, the second best player of the last 10 years. So we're really talking in like really, really high airs here. But in terms of being like, if you put the right team around Dame Lillard, like that guy could win you a championship, I think. Yeah. Right? Okay. I feel the same way about Donovan Mitchell because of what he's shown already in terms of the effect that he almost immediately had on Utah when they obviously they used him the right way as a rookie and he led them to however many wins it was, 49 or 50 wins. Um, the defense, the you know, he's I think he's got that like something leadership quality about him. I yeah, I think he's right. that's where his ceiling is. But work with me here. So the Knicks have sacrificed everything or just about everything. Uh, like, for example, one, one idea that I floated in our uh, KFS Slack channel was the Knicks get Donovan Mitchell, uh, Kevon Looney, and the – I think it was the Minnesota 2021 second-round pick. The Warriors get Mitchell Robinson, and then the Jazz get RJ the 2021 first the first round pick from Minnesota by way of Golden State and then a protected first round pick from the Knicks. Say like the the twenty twenty three Mavs. Pick. So the Jazz are ultimately ending up with three picks in this deal? Three, three first? firsts and RJ. Now of, of course if you're a Knicks RJ. fan, there's a very good chance that you're saying that's that's too much for me. But let's let's just roll with it, right? Because we we've, we've said we've we, again. I know you hate it, but we have to use the KP deal because it still <laughs> is some sort of blueprint for what it costs to trade a young star. It is the fact that it was two first round picks and a young prospect is that's that should be the minimum. And then if you're talking about salary, that that then would compound it even further. So you know the idea of the Knicks taking on some sort of salary. It's it's not a whole lot, and they, it fills a need at the very least. Then they get this young talent, and they trade other pieces. Let's let's. Would you say that's at least a fair value based on the circumstances involved? I think. A f- are you asking me is is R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, a completely unprotected pick for argument's sake? Let's call it the 2021 Knicks pick, and then um, a future Knicks first that is lightly protected. Let's call it 2023 with the chance to with uh, top ten protections that eventually. I'd, I'd said the the Mavs pick, which is essentially that pick because it's top ten protected. Except the Mavs. I we'll be would better. argue would be better. So I'm um, right, sure. either either way. If, yeah, I mean, well, I think there's a the slight difference, be- but if but again, the di- well, no, there actually is a big difference because if you what I was going to say is the 2023 Knicks pick that eventually that slowly drops down in terms of protections goes from let's say top ten to top five to top three to being unprotected, and I guess by that point it would be what 2027. Um, I think is a considerably better effort that considerably better asset than the Mavs 2023 top 10 protected pick. Do I think that the thing that I just said is fair value for Donovan Mitchell? Yes, I do. Okay. So, so let, let's roll with that just as an example. 
you've traded for Donovan Mitchell. Great. You've traded away your other pieces. You could argue it's worth it because this is a Stars League. Donovan Mitchell is certainly – he's got that star power. Fantastic. You're now entering 2020 with an insane amount of cap space. Yes. So how do you proceed to build around him? Because here's the problem. You have effectively two summers to build around Donovan Mitchell. And I say effectively because you have 2020, which is a but, year that he's on the last year of his contract. And then you have 2021 where his his um, cap hold is going to be you have 300% of his last fine, year's you sign, salary. But, but you sign him to a max and the cap hold doesn't matter. And by that point, the cap no, is going to be – It does. It absolutely matters. Why would it matter? Because if you max out Donovan Mitchell before you hit 2021, you've just sacrificed over 15 million or around 15 million dollars worth of cap space. But and his cap hold, you're saying, would be like what? 15 million. million? Okay, fine. But whether it's 15 million or 30 million, my my point is, but in the summer of 2021. Assuming they're able to trade Julius Randle between now and then, and they don't have that extra $4 million hanging over their head, um, then the only money they have on the books is whatever rookie salaries are still here, and jo- uh, Joakim Noah's $6 million. Assuming... And in my example, potentially, if he doesn't opt out, the Kevon Looney, but he, fine, again, whatever. $5 million, he can be dealt. Yes. You're, okay. you're still looking at a situation where... So, okay, so maybe the difference between his cap hold and... And uh, the max would be would uh, be the difference between having one max slot and two max slots. Is that your point? That is exactly my point. Okay, fine. Here's I I don't even want to. You're getting so into the weeds because which, you. But you have to. That's, I, that's and, what I'm saying. No, and you can't and trade away your present and your future. For a what future are we really trading away? We just did this podcast last week in which we, and I know you'll agree with me on this in your heart of hearts, generously, generously ranked RJ Barrett as what do we put him thirteenth uh, in the uh, of league wide assets under twenty three years because old. Because I think I think the difference in terms of and our opinions 20? on this, sure, the difference in our the difference in our opinions on this is you view him a bit higher than I do. Who Mitchell? Not, that, Donovan, Donovan Mitchell. Not yeah. to say that I don't view him highly. I do. I just don't think that his ceiling, <laughs> in my opinion, is as high as yours is. And Jeremy, that's fine. he's that's a 23-year-old who you just averaged that to me. I, 24 points a game. I, look, I know the three-point shooting is – first of all, the volume isn't up where the big guys are. He's only at 6.8, which is – you know, what is hardened at about 10 steps, usually at around nine or 10, right? So 6.8, not a ton, 36%. Um, a lot of those are tough shots. Um, but again, Utah's a good team. So if he's taking tough shots on Utah, what's to say he's not going to take even tougher shots on, on the Knicks? I get, listen, I, let me, can I, I, I want to take a step back here for a second. You've admitted the toughest part is to get that guy. And I understand. I understand your you. The disagreement here is that you definitely don't think Mitchell Donovan Mitchell is that guy. And I think that like, no, it's not definite. I just, I'm I'm not convinced that he is. I think he could be, but uh, I just yeah. let me just uh, fin- I'll finish the thought, which Go is ahead. that if you get a guy of his caliber in the door, 
into the Knicks organization, into MSG, with all of the nonsense that has surrounded this organization, real or imaginary. Because, again, we always say it. Perception is everything. The perception is the organization is a joke. If you get Donovan Mitchell in here and you get him with a happy face on, right? The happy face is key. Got to have that happy face, which theoretically, Leon Rose coming from CEAA, that's the one thing he's going to be able to do, right? Is get Donovan Mitchell to come in here and maintain the happy face that he, he walks through the door with because he's coming home, right? He's coming home to New York. If you get all that in place, I think that's enough for for everybody else to or around the league to be like, oh, okay, Donovan Mitchell's going there and they got some money to pay me? You know what? Shit, Sure. I'll go give it a shot. And again, is that going to be fucking Kawhi and Giannis in 2021? I have no idea. But so let's say it's not. Let's say it's, you know, I don't know. Name a name a tier a below that tier player um, who's going to be a free agent then. I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm putting myself on the spot because I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. But like, or let's just say they signed Fred Van Fleet this summer and like Christian Wood. Like, to me, I don't know. I just think once you get a guy here that's of of Donovan Mitchell's ilk, you know what I mean? Um, it's better than, than wandering around in the wilderness hoping for a 27% chance at either Cade Cunningham or, uh, what's his name, Evan Massey, I think, the, the, the other guy who's supposed to be good in the 2021 yeah. draft. That's my. That's ultimately my point, is this is, a, this is a known quantity, and I guess the difference here is that you're really hung up on like step two, whereas I guess maybe maybe because I'm a little bit older, and I, I I feel like once you, I feel like it's a good enough step one, that like step two will kind of you got to have a little faith, I guess. But but see, this is what surprises me because you are someone who has written and spoken of several times. What is the plan? And what I'm asking <laughs> in this is, in this case, Donovan Mitchell would be the what plan. What you're telling me is there's only one plan, and it's step one. And I can't live with that. I can't. <sighs> I can't get on board with a plan that only has one step when multiple steps are needed. I and think Donovan Mitchell plus cap space is 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 a good enough is a better plan than anything else that you that that the right. Knicks are going to come up with. Right and again, now. like absent absent lottery luck, absent lottery luck, which again, lottery luck is not a plan. As, as right. And again, about. Look, the, the first thing that I said was if you get Donovan Mitchell in the door and you don't pay him and you give him a $15 million cap hold and then you sign two stars, you can then go over the cap to sign him and you're you're in heaven. And I stand by that. And I think that like that's a plan. It's a far-fetched one. All of this is far-fetched, obviously. None of this is going to happen. <laughs> but, but again, here's my, here's my point. The Knicks got absolutely screwed because their plan B was a terrible plan. And just having Donovan Mitchell in the door, to me, is not a good enough plan A. There needs to be multiple parts to it. So if you want Donovan Mitchell, okay. But you have to tell me what your plan A is, what your plan – not you specifically. But yeah, no, I understand. But need to think about this. Okay, let's say we wanted to get that that Giannis AD pairing that that Jeremy Cohen has been salivating about, <laughs> which he knows is is delusional at best, and which, by the way, he's going to be doing some sort of series on the Knicks and using their cap space. And guess what he's going to be talking about with his first article? I because can't wait. He knows it's asinine, and yet he still has to talk about it because of the situation. That's number one. Number two, let's say that doesn't work, right? What do you do? You don't have the assets to trade for a star. You don't have the picks to draft someone. You have to rely on free agency. 
we know that there's a, only a select number of elite talent for free agency. And mind you, basically, you would have to not just have Donovan <laughs> Mitchell. You would have to have a, a successful 2020 year enough so that you can make the playoffs and say to free agents, not only do we have Donovan Mitchell, we've Donovan Mitchell and a boatload of cap space, and we were good with the players that we had, and you're going to be even better than the players that we signed on those one-year deals. We're, we're ignoring something, and it's the thing that it we and it, it's so funny how much we we do 180s on this stuff. A year ago at this time, literally a year ago at this exact time, everybody and their mother, when when told by some in the media that. The Knicks are a joke of an organization. They want 17 effing games. They have nothing here in terms of like real, honest-to-goodness young talent or veteran talent for that matter. Everybody's response, maybe not me, because I, <laughs> I was the one who was like, well, yeah, if this is the case, then Brooklyn's there too. But like everybody's response is, it's the Knicks. Who would pass up a chance to come and be and play under the bright lights of MSG? Well, it turns out that a bu- people did because that alone – doesn't get you there. What I'm saying is that we're we're too quick to poo-poo that and throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, and that that is still real if you can just get step one right. I think we're ignoring that other part. You don't agree? No, I don't disagree. I'm just saying that you can't just have someone in the building and say everything's going to go right from here on in. <sighs> you need to figure out what comes next. And again, if what comes next is what we couldn't – like if you were to say we've got Donovan Mitchell as a third option for you guys. Oh, you're crazy. How awesome is that? No, but 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 I'm not putting down Donovan I, Mitchell. I'm okay. saying that you talk about top players, right? Yeah. If you found two players who are better than Donovan Mitchell in free agency, then you're selling – my point is Donovan Mitchell is far better than a third option and yet because of the immense talent that the Knicks would be bringing in, he's relegated to a third option. That is a compliment. That is one of the highest yeah, compliments no, I, you could give I, I to a you. young player if you're coming – if you're bringing in two top 10, top 15 players right now. And I, so that's that's a great thing. But again, just perception-wise, you don't have to sell me. I don't think you probably have to sell anyone. We can all agree that the Knicks are in desperate need of a facelift. And having a young star like Donovan Mitchell say, I want out and also I want to be in New York. But it's a real face. Just add in, it's a real faceless. It's not a um, Chris Paul putting a Band-Aid on the situation, winning some games without – That's you want to talk about not a, no, no step two? That's a no step two, right? I agree. You're yeah. completely capping your ceiling for a low first-round pick maybe. And what is it for? What is it worth giving up over a third of your – cap space especially this year when the cap's going down i don't I, I can't get on board with it but so yes with mitchell again i'm with you if you get him in the door that's great if you trade away rj and a couple picks and mitch it's a lot but you're getting a lot back you know like i, I saw one thing that was ridiculous um in terms of a tweet and i know you saw it too which is like trading scraps for <laughs> donovan mitchell i'm gonna, I'm gonna be addressing like, this in my newsletter tomorrow and it was and like the, the argument behind it was like, yeah, there's three of them. It was like Frank, Dennis Smith Jr., maybe I, Knox, and a second round pick. So can like, I can I say something real like, quick? It was but, like the, the argument was like, oh well, we're giving up three, so and they're getting, <laughs> we're getting back one, so it's fair. My 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 thought for this podcast is we would at some point 
uh, towards the beginning of it, uh, address uh, some of the <laughs> fake trades that have been floating around the internet. And I like how we just skipped right over that part. Yeah, yeah, like, listen. Listen, don't... folks, if you're out there and you think that Kevin Knox <laughs> and Frank Nilakina and uh, one of the Dallas picks is getting you Donovan Mitchell, I don't I don't mean to burst your bubble, folks, but uh, it, it, no. Anyway. Also, if you're going to shit on a player incessantly and then put them as the centerpiece yeah. for a trade, I don't. Maybe I don't mean to laugh Maybe you're either, overvaluing but... what you have yeah. or undervaluing, and it's very easy. To do. It's very easy for us to talk to wax poetic about Knicks players and then suppress the value of other guys that we want because it just seems easier to get. You have to give to get, and it's got to be some sort of. Can equal I de- can I defend us for a second because we we do talk up Kevin Knox and Frank Nolakina on this show and we do try to look for positives in oh, the no. game but the reason for that we're is we, we have absolutely but, no but no I, I actually want to defend us for a second because they're here so one of two things is going to happen we either try to look on the bright side or you accept you accept the fact that what we see on the surface with guys like Frank and Knox and Dennis Smith Jr. who else like that's all there is. In which case, they have absolutely no value as an asset whatsoever. the The whole gist of this is that you look for signs of hope that they will get better. But if you're another organization like the Jazz or whoever, you know, even the Bulls with like Laurie Markin, you're not you're not trading. Uh, what's the? This is a biblical phrase. The, the bird, I think so. The bird in the hand for what's a, some? There's a bush. And there's a bird. No, there's bird two. In the hand, there's, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Kevin Knox and Frank Nilakina are birds deep, 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 deep into the bush, and they are they are wily birds. Um, they are tough to catch. Uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell is you. You have that guy secure. Um, so to speak, in this in this faulty now, analogy. Anyway, I do think one thing you can do is you could try to flip some of those assets. You know, you could try to flip a Kevin Knox <laughs> or a Frank Nealitino or a Dennis Richie. You try to then parlay them into other picks, and then that certainly makes the impact of dealing other things for Donovan Mitchell far easier. It's a, it's an easier well, pill to swallow. Now, and for you, you're probably thinking. Yeah. It's not even a pill. You just do it like that. It's just common sense. Well, no, do. hold on, because again, the whole my whole philosophy, and you know this, Jeremy, is to, to put aside all the culture bullshit. At the end of the day, this is an asset game. You you trade assets when they're highest at their value, and they acquire them when they're at their lowest in their value. And the biggest reason I don't want to trade Kevin Knox and Frank Nilakina is not because I have any particular affection for them. By the way, they're not Frank at highest value. Yeah, they're their lowest. Their, their value can't possibly get any lower. The reason why you like the, here's the one thing I'll say about the unprotected picks and why if the Jazz would actually go for that deal and what my only point that I wanted to say on this podcast is I don't think the Jazz would even go for that deal because I think despite the fact that his very low salary makes any trade very complicated because there really aren't a whole lot of players in the NBA who are very good help you win right now and are on a rookie scale deal and I and the the point that I wanted to make is that I think the Jazz um they want to win like, even if they traded Donovan Mitchell in this crazy example, I think they're going to still, you know, try to win because they have other win-now guys on that team. They're not just going to tank and try to sell all those guys for pennies on the dollar. I'm getting off track here. But my, my point is the things that the Knicks have right now that are at their peak of their value, 
One is probably Mitchell Robinson, which we talked about last week, right? Which is why you're not completely opposed to the idea of trading him for him. Sorry, trading him because there's an argument that his value will never be higher than it is right now. And in the right circumstance, future unprotected Knicks picks. And again, my part of my argument for why I would do the deal is it again, if you get the right guy, like there's a reputation right now around the league that the Knicks will never be able to get out of their own way. And the idea of a future unprotected Knicks pick is like, you know, it's like people looked at the Nets pick uh, once upon a time or the Nets picks, excuse me, that came over in the Celtics deal for, for Garnett and all that. Like, I think it, like, here's what I'll say about Leon Rose. I think he's competent enough that if he got Donovan Mitchell in the door and you had Mitchell here, like, I, I think those picks would only decrease in value, I guess is my point. It depends, though, because if we're talking about picks in 2020 and 2021, one of those years, then you're probably looking at a tough pill to swallow at first. But yes, I agree that the the goal would be the Knicks get better, and as a result, um, the pick decreases in value. Now... I think a lot of Knicks fans could then say, we've been down this road. We had Carmelo Anthony. Now, the difference is you could make an argument that the Knicks hope to build around Donovan Mitchell better than they did around Carmelo Anthony. I think also Carmelo Anthony's, where he his prime is still going to be higher than Donovan Mitchell's ceiling. But again, the point being, the Knicks thought that the picks in 2014 and 2016 were going to be high enough that you could make the deal and it's fine. But the problem was that there really wasn't a safety net. And you could say, well, let's protect them, but who's to say that the Jazz agree to that deal? So you can't just – you're not throwing away your future by trading what you've got for Donovan Mitchell. You're still investing in it, <sighs> but you're not diversifying your risks to the point that you need to. And that is a big concern because there's a good chance – that everything could go down in terms of the trade that we wanted to. It won't happen, but can, let's say... If can, I, can I just say something that's going to piss a lot of people off? Sure. I have eminently more faith in Donovan Mitchell continuing to be the engine of a winning team than I do Carmelo Anthony. And this is... Listen... This is not. Uh, this is not yeah. to shit on Melo. I, I I don't mean that. To, I don't mean it to sound like I'm shitting on Melo, but the fact is that Melo could be your I, I actually think Melo could have been the best player on a championship team if you put just such the right pieces around him. Um but he need like what we saw and what he proved was that he needed those those pieces and that's what made him very different from, you know, the the Dwayne Wades and the LeBrons and the so on and so forth of the league. Mitchell, I think because he's a guy that could run an offense and that's if we're really talking nitty gritty, that's the difference. Like could you imagine, just for the, humor me for a second, put Donovan Mitchell in place of the Knicks point guards that they had this past year and give the, like, literally, ship out Frank Nilla, or just ship out Alfred Payton, right? Ship out Alfred Payton, and in this scenario, I guess we're shipping out R.J. Barrett, and sure, ship out Mitchell Robinson. How many te- How many games does that team win? Um, I bet they're a 500 team. I don't. I don't think they are because I still think that Julius Randle has enough of effect, of an effect where it it affects the team. A negative effect. 
Correct. And in I that, think if you I put Mitchell on this team, it turns Randall into a very, very, very different player in terms of the positive impact he's he's able to have. That's another disagreement that I guess we have. It's not. Look, I still I I think he'd feel that he's less needed to be the engine on offense because he sees another guy uh, who can actually lead the team. But again, Randall probably also thought the same thing when Alfred Payton was with him. And except one guy hit fourteen threes last year, and the other guy. Hold on, let me let me. But uh, just just being a spacing threat doesn't necessarily change Randall's mindset. He's you, a low IQ player in the ter- in in the sense that. He, he's yet to be on a winning team for a reason. Yeah, but I think you don't think he would defer to Donovan Mitchell. Come on. I think he'd defer as much as he could, but at the end of the day, he would look at himself and say, "I'm getting paid eighteen million dollars. I've got to, I've got to do some work here." And I don't think he would be any more hands off than what he is. And in fact, I think you could make an argument that the same issue comes into play, and the same thing happens where whoever's in charge. Probably some other executive, if we're being honest, because I don't think Steve Mills and Scott Perry would have the um, the, the ability to to separate themselves and say we got to get rid of Randall because we just traded him or we just acquired him. I think that they would probably want to ride out the contract from a sunk cost fallacy point of view. So then you're looking at a situation where there's just it just feels muddled, you know, like it, it doesn't feel cohesive enough for what you want. But that's also why I think, and Berman talked about it already. You tweeted about this, and yeah, that he was, this is what we've suspected that Randall will likely be moved this summer. Well, they well they would they will be open to moving him. I think is right. more accurate way of putting Which it. Which to me again read, we don't want ten million dollars in dead cap in twenty twenty one. Let's find a way to trade him because it's an easier sell than than us being on the hook for nineteen point what six million. Yeah in 2021 and trying to get rid of it and finding a team that wants to swallow that type of contract. The difference being that, yes, you could say the same thing of, well, like then the other team doesn't have to worry about the $4 million, but sure. But there's going to be a team out there that does need some sort of front court upgrade and has enough salary that can come back from an expiring deal where it would work out. Um, yeah, I look, look, we probably, we've just talked for 50 some odd minutes about this. It's, it, it, they again that just for we probably should have upfronted this but the trade deadline has passed um Donovan Mitchell is not eligible to be traded until after this NBA season is over after the draft um which at this point I think the most generous estimates have the draft occurring in September uh what is it what's Easter today is um April 12th so that leaves half of April May June July August September so we have roughly five and a half months for the Jazz to soothe things over between Mitchell and Gobert. Again, and, and time heals. It heals all wounds, you know. That said, that said, if they were open to dealing him, and the Knicks could get him for R.J. Barrett and two future completely unprotected picks, and they were able to keep Mitchell Robinson and acquire um, Donovan Mitchell. I not only I, I I run I run to do, do they still have to fax deals in or is it just uh, via email now I feel like the, the league is like old school in certain ways maybe they still have the fax thing going I I run either way you've just triggered 
a huge faction of Knicks fans who. Yeah, and I get that because, but again, I'm old enough to remember two unprotected right. first round picks for Eddie Curry. I obviously am old enough to remember two no, first I'm, round I'm picks for Carmelo the Anthony. Physical, the physical act of faxing it in with Pat. Riley. <laughs> oh, <That's laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't. Mean, I thought you were going a different direction. No, um, I thought you meant like a regurgita effect of of the of telling Knicks fans. Uh, we're going to trade multiple f- future first round picks unprotected. Um, I, I I do it, and I don't think twice. That said, I don't think that J- the Jazz would want to do it because again, I think the Jazz want to win now, and I think that there is a deal out there somewhere. And like I thought of a lot of names um, just to go through them real quick, like Buddy Hill, Drew Holiday, um, Jamal Murray in Denver, uh, and yes, I did think of the name Ben Simmons in in Philadelphia. Like I could. see see machinations of deals involving all those guys but they all make 20 some odd million so then you're getting into all right well what big salary are the jazz sending out and inevitably it's got probably going to be Mike Connolly and then it's like well hold on wait a minute I know the Connolly thing hasn't gone great but he started to kind of turn around and are we really like essentially salary dumping Connolly so we could move Donovan Mitchell for a guy that is like, you know, not going to be a, a, as good as the ceiling of the, I just, it's tough. That said, um, I do want your opinion on one deal. You ready for this one? Sure. The Miami Heat, I believe, have one first round pick left to trade that I think there's a chance it wouldn't convey, but like barring some really crazy shit, it was a, it, it's a pick that I believe would convey in 2025. Um, Tyler Harrow, uh, Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, um, and that future first round pick um, for Donovan Mitchell. What do you think of that one? I think it's a lot less than the picks we just talked about, and I understand that we're talking about players who are actually playing and have played better than any of the picks that are coming in the future. All of those players they're, they're help NBA you players. all of those players help you win more than RJ Barrett right now and maybe for the next year. Right. But the thing is I think th- the three guys you listed essentially play secondary more off-ball roles. Kendrick Nunn uh, plays more on-ball. Yeah. But their ceilings are far lower and I think the Jazz kind of have to look at it and say what is our present and what is our future? Because Donovan Mitchell represents their present and their future. And yes. the players that you just listed are really more present. I don't and, and I don't think it gets it done. If may not even convey, then I think that that just – like it's all the more reason where the Jazz would want to look at things that can impact their timeline uh, from for probably the next seven to ten years. And looking at the fact that they lost Gordon Hayward for nothing – they're, they're going to want to trade him for some sort of future, not not just what's I, going on right now. That's I, at least where I'm at. I, I, was, I mean, the reason I thought of that deal was because I'm trying to think of, like, guys that are on rookie salaries that, like, are good right now. And Miami has a lot of them, and we know Pat Riley would, would sell um, sell his mother for um, a, another star. I think, actually, the only way that would work, and I, this would be – if there's any team who could figure out the cat mechanics to make it happen, it's the Heat. It would be the Heat, God, somehow parlaying their cap space, because they're actually going to have a lot of cap space this summer, potentially, um, into like taking on bad money. And then the team that ships off the bad money to them would give an additional asset to Utah to complete this deal. Um, 
and I th- I'm fairly certain because again I know Iggy signed an additional year, right? He signed on for an additional year. It's a um, team option in 2021. Yeah, but he's signed for next season, guaranteed. He's, yes, it's guaranteed next season, and yeah, then the 2021 season's fifty and, million. And the thing that I'm not sure, whatever. It's it's not a Miami Heat podcast, but like, I don't know. I I guess the ultimately what I'm talking myself into is the more I hear it is like. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't be that crazy to see the Jazz accepting the Knicks' best offer. Uh, I guess the w- the way you have to look at it, in my mind, is if the Jazz are committed to trading him in the in the way that the Knicks are similar to how the Knicks were committed to trading Porzingis, they have to again not only look for something that helps them in the present and in the future, but they have to look for the best deal. Right, and I mean, you could say like, well, obviously, duh, but it's more than that because, again, I, I, I think they really need to start thinking long term. And sure, you could say that the three players you listed have all had better NBA careers than RJ Barrett. I, I would agree with that. But oh no, also- but but as we talked about last week, I just want to so nobody gets mad at me. There's a reason RJ Barrett was 13 on our whatever 2323 right. list, and like. Harrow didn't even make the list. I think R.J. Barrett's ceiling is a lot higher. I'm just talking about for like a win now thing. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, if you're saying it's over the next two to three years and you're insistent on re-signing Gobert in this situation. That's true. Gobert's going to be a free agent for them. Yeah. You're still still maximizing something (sighs) by having him there and then you've got picks to supplement it. And again, like – you know, the, the thing about the Jazz that's so interesting is we talk about how they would want higher picks than not. I mean, who wouldn't, right? Yeah. But they found Donovan Mitchell, what, 12th, right? Yeah. They found Gobert 27th. They found yeah. Joe Ingles in the second round. This is a team. Well, they, signed, this is, they signed Joe Ingles. Right, to okay. A, a was he undrafted? Yeah. He, not, well, he was... He had bounced around a little bit. I remember he got signed by the Clippers and then cut by the Clippers when he was like on his way to like join their team or something. I forget if he was – I'll look it up right now. Anyway, continue. Bottom line being that they've done a fantastic job of finding talent outside of the top 10. And that's something that teams really don't do a great job of. I mean you could say one of the other teams that did the best job of that is probably the Pacers. They haven't had a top 10 pick since I want to say the early 1980s, two fantastic organizations. Yeah, a very just solid, well run, and you know neither of them is a championship has won a championship in that time, but both have come incredibly close, and both are just the epitome. Uh, maybe I mean less so than say like the Spurs, but to me they're in the upper echelon of small market teams that are just very well run. So. For all we know, the Jazz could say, yeah, we really don't want to trade Donovan Mitchell, but gee, like we trust our people so much that we think we could we could build it even better than what we've got right now. And that's the question. <sighs> Man. Is he expendable in the in the sense that they feel confident enough that they have the foundation in place to find Donovan Mitchell's equivalent and then some? I I don't think you could that and I and this is all, this is where we'll end it because this is what we we've, we've differed on this whole podcast. I don't think you can ever count on finding just finding a Donovan Mitchell. I I just not so much counting, but having enough confidence that 
you will be able to get there. And I, I don't, I, and I think that would be for an organization that has been as prudent and um, and calculated and measured uh, as the Jazz have been for a very long time. Um, I, I just don't foresee that. The, the one other thing I, I do want to mention is, you know, and in hindsight, they knew exactly what they were doing by getting rid of this guy. But, like, the Jazz are also the team that traded um, Darren Williams before, like, and, like, they're, they they got out so far in front of it. Um, and it's not even like they got, a, you know, I mean, they got Derek Favors back in that trade, right? Um, and and I, I don't think I don't think that those picks turned into too much else. Um, but, um yeah, man, I I don't um, I don't see it again. I, I I don't see them trading him, and if they do, I, I just let me ask you this. Let's end on this. Do you think Leon Rose would trade R.J. Barrett? And because I, I I think a, I think a Mitchell Robinson deal, the the one you came up with is pretty good though. I gotta give you I'll give you credit for that, Jerry Carr. I'll give you a little round of applause right here. Thank you. Um, I I but I I find it far more likely that the Knicks would keep Mitchell Robinson and uh, trade away Barrett and multiple unprotecteds. Do you think Leon Rose would do that deal? I do in the sense that he he's ready to accomplish something. He doesn't really want to wait. Like Dolan has waited long enough. Leon Rose himself is almost 60 years old. He's going to not want this stench of – I got here and what have we really done over the two to three years? Because let's face it, I mean, we can talk about how ineffective Steve Mills was, right? And what's really interesting is I actually just recorded a podcast today with uh, the Posting and Toasting show. Oh, nice. And we, we had Seth Parno from The Athletic come over. He Very cool. He, yeah. He, for those who don't know, he used to work as, I want to say, director of basketball research for the Milwaukee Bucks for a few years. And then he held a job with the Bucks internally, different role. And we, we got to ask all sorts of questions to try to get an understanding of the front office. But uh, the way I kind of walked away from that was thinking from the Knicks perspective and just with this going on, it makes so much more sense for Leon Rose to steal the headlines right now because we don't know what goes on in front office. We don't know who makes what decisions. It's almost impossible to tell. But if one huge deal is made and it's within the first 365 working days, you know, because it's so hard to evaluate right now because we're on a hiatus. Yeah, yeah. So if, if this is like a pause and we hit resume and from that point on until like wherever we hit the pause again, you look at it and you could say like Leon Rose getting that type of deal changes everything. And yeah, like you said, perception, all this. So I think he has no emotional attachment to any of these players. I could absolutely see him trying to wheel and deal while World Wide West works his magic behind the scenes and tries to get something done so that it's in like puts this stamp on of approval on him, validates him in a completely different role, validates Dolan for hiring him in the first place. Everything changes and we're looking at a completely different situation. So long story short, yes, I could absolutely see it. Yeah. Um, man. I just I'm gonna I, I I'm I pretty much wrote my column for tomorrow already and I'm gonna end it with like all right let's all not think about this anymore because this is stupid and it's not gonna happen but just 
the idea of that guy in a Nick uniform, man, that's I'm not gonna lie, that's uh, yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, no, it would be, it would be pretty. It's cool. exciting. Yes, it is. All right, Jeremy, we have we have talked <laughs> for way too long as we always do about something that is absolutely not going to happen. Um, anything you want to? Any parting parting shots before we get out of here? Yes, uh, I actually do have one. Well, Please, I, I mentioned the series I'll be writing and yes. the podcast that I did earlier today. Um, one thing that's actually much more real for this fan base. Uh, can we can we please stop with this whole Chicago Bulls uh, Karnasovas debacle? Um, I've seen so many Knicks fans. I get it. There's there's nothing to talk about really. I mean, like again, we're talking about noise right now, and even we acknowledge that there's very little that's concrete to actually work with. And the amount of Knicks fans that I saw venting and complaining about the Bulls' search for an executive genuinely got me annoyed. Really? Uh, what, I mean by that, what I mean by that is... Wow, okay. The, so, for example, I saw so many Knicks fans saying, well, how, how come the Knicks didn't interview Karnasovas? It's, it's ridiculous. Um, well, one big thing is that Karnasovas just took a promotion. Well, that, yeah, no, that's like, that's stupid. But can I, can I actually... I want to jump in here real quick before we go. I am... I am annoyed not at the Karnasovas thing because he was all, none of these guys who are GMs in other spots are coming to the um, are doing a lateral move to the Knicks. My point of annoyance, and I don't know if maybe this is would get under your skin. If it does, you know, whatever. Um, there is there's active searching going on in that we Chicago know that we know of. Yeah. My, my point here is this. So you're, are you saying that there you, we shouldn't be annoyed if active searching isn't going on in New York or that we shouldn't assume that active searching isn't going on in New York? Both. Honestly, both. Uh, look, for one, if we're saying that it's going on and we don't know about it, that's fine. We don't need to know about it, right? I'm fine yes, with we, that. we want something to fill, right? Because if anything, we want a, a, a covert organization that won't let things slip for once. That would be great. In terms of the not having an active search – there is now really after the Carnesso is hiring and the people he hired underneath him, um, there's effectively zero front offices that are hiring right now. And we know that the Bulls didn't take every single good front office executive that there is. So if there are plenty of other people left over and plenty of other great candidates that are out there, why are people freaking out about the Bulls or why are they freaking out about a uh, someone who has front office experience versus someone who doesn't. This is something we also touched upon in the podcast earlier. Um, not that it doesn't matter. It could, but just that there's so much we don't know. And so because there's so much that we don't know, it can feel like we're projecting our own thoughts on things that we really know maybe 4% of. And so with with this whole situation with the Bulls and hiring, again, there are still going to be great, talented, high IQ people out there that are going to be ripe for the picking that will be very interested in this job or whatever job it might be, and we can go from there. But but worrying about it right now to me is ludicrous. There's it's just it's just freaking out for the point of freaking out. Can I go for a counterpoint to that? Sure. It, very very simply, if I if I didn't have the fear that they were going to largely stick with the guys that are already here, I would be much less concerned. And I I have that fear because there has been now a history of roughly 20 years that 
guy people remain employed in the garden and working for James Dolan because they are good soldiers to a certain extent and there is a there is a track record of that um we t- we touched upon that too because my question for Seth was how do we know what a good front office is how do we know what a good executive and a bad front office is how do we know what a bad executive and a good front office is the truth is we don't so it's very easy for us right to say Let's just clean house. Let's start over. But but the truth is that there are really good people, and there there truly are. And Seth even confirmed this. There are good people in the Knicks organization. We just may not know it. I don't we're not on the inner workings of the team. I don't doubt that. But if, if that's the case, if that's truly the case, then the following two things should also be true. One. An additional bright mind, someone who is an assistant GM in some other team that is regarded as one of the best up-and-comers in the business. And um, actually, Steph Bondi did a, a nice list of a bunch of people, I think maybe last weekend or earlier last week, had a few few good names in there. That would only help. And two, and more importantly, with the track record this franchise has, no one, not Alan Houston, not Scott Perry, not, you know, any any name you want to say that's currently a member of their front office, has the leverage to be able to say to Leon Rose and or James Dolan, well, wait a minute, hold on. Why, why, why are you bringing this outsider in, right? And, and that is, that's ultimately where my uh, consternation comes in because there, there, sh- there is literally no downside to bringing in another top level executive with experience elsewhere in the organization, uh, elsewhere in the league. And my my fear that we're not hearing more about them actively searching for that person is that because they are going to get ready to go into like, for instance, the draft and free agency with the crew that they have now. And that is something that I would feel just not, I, I, I'm sorry. I wouldn't feel great about that. But here's the thing, right? Like you're talking about the list Bondi came up. Why should the Knicks hiring someone off of that list validate? Your oh, no, I don't. I don't listen. No, or, or maybe to be for all we know, the Knicks are actively interviewing at least one of the people on that list. Or in this case, what what is so wrong? And I, I, seriously, what is so wrong with having Scott Perry or Alan Houston in a role that isn't too big for them? What is the problem with having Scott Perry basically working with scouts in some sort of assistant role or an advisory that's role. That's Totally right, fine. 100% fine. Who, who, who's the GM of the team for, on draft night? But the point that I'm making here is that we don't know when that's okay. And we don't necessarily have to be I, concerned. That's not okay with me that I don't know who the GM of the why, team is on draft is it, night. Why is it not okay because, that we don't know it right now? Because I want to know that there is someone in the organization who I trust to make high-level, high-ramification basketball decisions. I want to know that – my point here is that you don't even know who within the organization to trust could be, and there could easily be someone to trust. I know. Again, I I purposefully try not to be political on any of my social media uh, just just because I I think it's great for me to be as apolitical as possible. But – I'm going to I'm going to change up a little bit here. If you're to say a situation that 
with what we're going on right now, right? With COVID nineteen, okay. clearly something went wrong. Yes, at the top there I mean, was there were, a, goes I think that's saying. a fair statement. It that, is a fair that statement. Something at the top was wrong. Yes, I'm not going to compare the Knicks organization like Scott Perry and Craig Robinson or anyone else to Dr. Fauci or to Burks or to any of the other people who are working closely with the person at the top, right? But if you had the person at the top and you had the people working under him and all you saw was the person working at the top, you would assume the people working under him were shit. But the thing is it's very possible and we know this now that the people who are working under him like Dr. Fauci are phenomenally good at their job, at their job. So it's not to say that Dr. Fauci is Scott Perry or the equivalent of, right? But it's to say that yeah, we, I, like you, can't, you, Jonathan, cannot tell me that Scott Perry – is bad because of the fact that Steve Mills was running the show and we simply do not know. I also, you can, you can, I also can't you can, tell you he's you any good. Fearful. You can guess and be fearful of what's to come because you've had a, like, a generation's worth of heartbreak and, and nostalgia resting on like random games during years in the 1990s and in 2012, 13. Like I get all of that. Yeah. So I understand why you're acting out of a place of fear. It's not irrational, but at the same it, time, until it happens, we can't judge it. We can't. We just have to let it the, come. We have to let it arrive, or it won't. And the, if it doesn't, then we can go crazy. The but place of then, fear. I, I I hear what you're saying. The place of fear doesn't come from the '90s. The place of fear right. comes from Julius Randle spinning into three people all season long. That's I mean, where the in place terms of, of the nostalgia that you were you were hanging on to, where it's like, other than that, it's been I, a shit sandwich. I just, I, yeah, and but specifically. Scott Perry was one of two things, a driving force behind the decisions that were made this summer and before the summer, which, you know, again, we don't have to get into right now, but he, he has either been complicit in all of the de- the decisions that have been made over the last several years, or he has been a driving force. There is no in-between. He was either complicit. Well, there, or, there could be. There could absolutely be in the sense well, of what, fine. what if, happened. But then, what if, happens, but then if he Mills wasn't says, okay with them and he couldn't convince Steve Mills to change his mind, well, guess what? He's not very good at his job in that scenario either. Not, oh, come on, that's a little unfair. Basically, I don't I, know I, if it if is. You work for if you work for a really bad boss, and you try to talk them out of it. At the end of the day, they're still your boss. There's yeah. only so much that you can do. Again, I have no idea what Scott Perry was in charge of. I think that he had a lead role in bringing in guys like Alfred Payton, maybe Bobby Portis. But what I'm saying here is that we don't know what he could have done well or what he could have done not well if not for Steve Mills. Because at the end of the day, we have to pin everything on Steve Mills because he's the one who has final say. So, and so, yes, I think that you could say that Scott Perry is complicit at the at the very least. You could say that some of the things possibly he did were worse, but you don't know that. You you think that, and you could also say that it's possible that some of the things he could have done could have been better. Maybe, for example, like the Knicks didn't bring in a single good player through a trade from the point that Scott Perry and Steve yeah. Mills took over I don't, I don't until now. That. I, but, but but the point I'm making is that that's one of the three ways to collect talent, and the Knicks did not do that. They completely failed on that end, and the, my belief is the reason they failed is because they were so confident. And again, who is they? Is it just Steve Mills? Is it Scott Perry and Steve Mills? Is it Dolan? Is it all of them? I don't know. But the point is that they were probably so confident in the terms of getting these star players that they neglected to build the team around them because they thought, let's get our stars and build around them then. So the question is, who is who's really responsible? 
everything again, you I'm say. Again, I'm not saying I'm not saying that Scott Perry doesn't deserve to be the GM I, I, or that he does. It's just again, there's so much that we don't know, and we have such little ability to see the inner workings of this team. So it's very easy to just throw the baby out with the bathwater. But what if what if some of that was same still analogy sound? twice in the same episode? I like. It. There we go. Uh, um. Look, everything you just said is a great argument for there's no reason to um, fire Perry and Houston. And I actually think that there's something to that. And for as much as I have talked about, along with other people, um, the idea of the value of of continuity, um, I, I think that that is that is or sorry, excuse me, for as much as I and other people have talked to. Uh, or other people have talked about like needing to clean house. I do think there is a value to continuity, um, you know, especially since I, I don't know that cleaning house is actually realistic um, in this organization with this owner. But putting that aside, it's all fine. You've made a great argument for for continuing to employ these men. I just don't think you've made the argument for not bringing in an outside mind to assist. Um, at the very but least, but with I'm the not process. against. I'm not against that. That's why I didn't make the argument. Yeah, no. So, but then it's f- good to have a change of pace. But again, who's to say? Like, like if, even if you look at the draft records of from the, of the Scott of Steve Mills and Scott Perry tenure, it's like overall, it's okay. It's fine. I wouldn't say it's great. I wouldn't say it's bad. I would say it's 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 like you said, it's fine. We listen. We don't need but, to litigate that right now. But I guess I just I, I guess ultimately what this comes down to is I think if they were actively seeking someone to come in and be a GM, a we would have heard about it. But B more to the point, Leon Rose has been on the job for five weeks now, and I I, I there's still a part of me that doesn't quite understand this whole logic of like you know what we're gonna stick with what we have now for the draft just because they've been here already it's like so the two things with that one um why? leon rose has been known to be close to the vest i think bondy or berman reported that yeah, no, he and is. we also did not know that leon rose was as far along in negotiations until we found out hey he's basically been hired and two think about where the sources are coming from, like, and I don't, I don't have to say that. No, to, I, I, someone who who certainly has has shown that he has connections. I'm just trying to be wary of where that information would come from and who that would benefit. And if I'm hearing from inside the organization that the Knicks are going to stick with what they've got, that says to me that someone really wants to stay with where they are, and that they don't want to be cast aside. And you know what? Maybe it's true. That's fair. Maybe the Knicks do stick with it. But you have to acknowledge the fact that you're not going to have Leon Rose saying this to Mark Berman or whoever it was that was reported. It's going to be someone who is acting out of their own self-interest. And what do they have to lose? I, not having a job. What do they have to gain? The illusion of keeping a job. Well, this is a different conversation. It's it's about whether or not there's stuff going on that we don't know about, which again, that's fine. I, I, I just – you know, I, I would – I would be remiss if I did not admit that there's a part of me that feels like every day that goes by um, is another day potentially wasted to just, you know, get a different set of eyes and ears um, in the but- building to, 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 to think about the very, very, very big and significant questions that they the, the Knicks are going to be facing, you know, but in, in less the immediate than Knicks- future. 
unless the Knicks were going to get J.J. Polk or any of the other people that the Bulls are currently hiring, to me, it doesn't sound like there's All a huge rush. Right, well, then let's see. Especially when the draft is getting pushed back. So let's see where they're – let's see. Maybe they – listen – Maybe they make a hire tomorrow, and you'll be you'll be proven right. I guess I you know for the first time for the first time in my life as a Nick fan, I would be more I would be more comfortable if I had heard if I heard a leak about something, which is uh, probably the only time I'll say that. Okay, we've now <laughs> we've now taken your final final point. We've gone on for fifteen minutes about it. This is good podcasting. I think I think this is good podcasting when you literally don't want to shut up about the thing. This is making you're something about. out of nothing. This is making something out of nothing. Exactly. Jeremy, um, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for spending part of your um, Easter Sunday, even though you don't celebrate Easter Sunday. Um, I am going to uh, get on with what remains of my Easter. Um, enjoy. Which is not, <laughs> that's not much to enjoy. Um, we're going to eat the rest of the cookies that we baked earlier today. Uh, and to everybody out there, thank you, of course, as always, for joining us on another episode of the Next Film School podcast. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you. Thank you for letting us be your, um, your distraction, um, in these, <laughs> in these trying times. And, uh, we'll have another episode out, uh, for you very soon. Until then, uh, I'll talk to you later. Good